You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Hey, good morning. You can go ahead and have a seat. We want to welcome you to our Sunday gathering. My name is Josh. I'm one of the elders here at Redeemer. And we're so glad that you're here. If you're a guest with us, hopefully you were greeted warmly. Uh, It's hard sometimes to walk into a new place, but uh, we're, we're just a bunch of really of imperfect people who are clinging to a perfect Savior. And so we want to welcome you uh, to our church. We're currently in a series called In the Storm. And over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at the difficult topics of depression and anxiety. And, and Pastor Jordan did a great job of walking us through those topics, pointing us to uh, the complexity of those topics and the uh, resources we find in the gospel of Jesus. So if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and listen to those. Um, and this week, we're going to look at the topic of grief. Uh, We're going to look at the topic of grief, and we're going to keep it simple and following uh, Pastor Jordan's kind of lead. He kind of did some some three-part sermons, which I was like, you know what, that's a great idea. Let's just keep it simple. Three things that we're going to look at for grief today. One is we're going to define grief a bit. Uh, Two is we're going to look at our struggle with grief. And three, we're going to answer the question, where is God in our grief? Okay, so let's pray, and then we'll jump into sermon. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I thank you for the privilege of coming into your presence as we gather around your word. I thank you that you're a God who doesn't stay far off from us, even in our sin, even in our suffering. You draw near to us. You pour out grace upon grace. You give us your word, which is filled with your promise and presence. This morning, as we look at the difficult topic of grief, would you, Holy Spirit, bring comfort to those who are in grief right now? Would you lead others who maybe have suppressed grief or not dealt with grief to bring that grief to you? And would you help equip us for the days ahead when we don't know what we will face? Help us to walk through this life knowing you're with us and you love us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to begin with just defining grief a bit, uh, first by kind of giving a definition and expanding that, and then we'll look at a brief biblical survey of the topic of grief. Um, The Tyndale Bible Dictionary defines grief as emotional suffering brought on by bereavement, mishap, or disaster. We might say that grief carries with it an emotion of sadness, and its action, which is grieving, means to feel sadness and express it through vocalizations, tears, and ritual expressions of sorrow and grief. Grief is a sorrowful response to the world not being as it should be. C.S. Lewis, in his book, A Grief Observed, describes his process of grief and his uh, encounter with grief and the loss of his wife in this way. He says, no one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. I'm not afraid, but the sensation is like being afraid. The same fluttering in the stomach, the same restlessness, the yawning. I keep on swallowing. At other times, it feels like being mildly drunk or concussed. There's a sort of invisible blanket between the world and me. I find it hard to take in what anyone says, or perhaps hard to want to take it in. It's so uninteresting. 
yet I want others to be about me. I dread the moments when the house is empty. If, they only, if only they would talk to one another and not to me. I thought I could describe a state, make a map of sorrow. Sorrow, however, turns out to be not a state, but a process. Encourage you, if you haven't read C.S. Lewis's book, A Grief Observed, it's filled with insight and uh, just his reflections on grief. And, and not only does C.S. Lewis have much to say about grief, but the Bible itself has much to say about grief, so much so that it, I couldn't even, <laughs> there was too many verses to even mention all of them. So there might be your favorite verse that, that doesn't even get to be brought up. There's so much in the scriptures about grief. Very early on in the biblical story, we see that God himself grieves, that he is grieved. Um, no doubt, when sin cracked into the world at the fall of mankind, it grieved God's heart. But as sin expands and, and wickedness abounds on earth and people are harming one another, we read in Genesis 6, 6, God says this. He says, um, I'll find it, just a minute, it's in my notes. He says, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. You see, the Creator God himself grieves. He feels grief when the world is not as it should be. When people harm others with their deeds, with their words and actions, when they refuse to live under the peaceful rule of God, it brings sorrow to God's heart. We see later on in the biblical story that the people of Israel were acquainted with sorrow and grief at the treatment they received from Pharaoh in Exodus 2, 23-25 uh, says, During those days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their rescue for, uh, from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God knew. He saw the treatment, the, the sadness, the many years that they had lived in utter oppression by Pharaoh and, and the wickedness that he represents in an acts. And he heard their cries. God knows their grief. And he was moved to actions. All throughout the Psalms, if we read the Psalms, uh, King David has a multitude of songs which express his grief and his sorrow. Grief over his own sin at times and, and grief over his actions. There's other times where he's grieving the loss of a friend or he's grieving that enemy armies are surrounding him and circumstances have been uh, horrifying. One of the most touching moments of grief that we get from King David is, is not in the Psalms, and in, 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 this is my opinion, but is in 2 Samuel 18, when his son Absalom, who had rebelled against him, uh, he gets news that Absalom had died. And we hear this uh, phrase from King David. He said, would I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. We read in that text that David's heart was filled with sorrow and grief. We have an entire book in the Old Testament, Lamentations, which gives voice and grief to the sorrow of God's people, both over their sin and the sin done to them. We have a book of Job, which is an entire lesson that we could unpack grief and how not to be a, a help and how to, how to 
suffer well. You see, the Bible is well-versed in our world, a world where grief is rampant, a world where we still lose loved ones, a, love, a world where life is continually filled with thorns and thistles. And we move forward in the biblical story to the gospel, and we see that Jesus himself was someone acquainted with grief. There were times he was grieved at God's, uh, at God's people's unwillingness to come to him, their stubbornness of heart. In John 11, Jesus loses one of his dearest friends, Lazarus, and we, we learn in John 11:35 that Jesus wept. He wept. Even though he knew in the coming days he would raise Lazarus from the dead, that he would set things right, he wept in the face of losing his friend. You see, things are not as they should be with the world, and the appropriate response when we bump up against this painful reality is grief. The prophet Isaiah, speaking and looking forward to Jesus, says this about Jesus. He says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. You see, I want you to think about this for a moment, that the God of the universe allows himself to feel grief. The immutable, immortal, invisible, all-creating, all-knowing, all-powerful God feels grief. He allows sadness and sorrow to hit at the core of his being. And we see this in Jesus. God's fullest unveiling and revealing of who he is happens in the person of Jesus, fully God and fully man. And this prophet Isaiah says he's a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. You see, Jesus knows all too well the pain of having kids mock you and pass on rumors about your family because your birth was seen as a sort of a scandal. Jesus knows the hurt of pouring yourself out to others only to be abandoned in your time of need. Jesus knows the pain of having your words twisted and misrepresented by those who hate you. Jesus knows what it's like to see where, where people should go, to see where life is found, and to watch them wallow and, and destroy themselves in their addictions. Jesus knows what it's like to lose a dear friend or loved one to death. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed by a dear friend. He knows the spiritual darkness and its hold on this world. 
He knows the physical pain and emotional pain that is to the point of shedding his own blood. Church family, Jesus knows just how far things are from what they should be. And his response is grief. The same sorrow that the Trinity shared together in Genesis chapter 6 at the beginning as sin began to wreak havoc. Jesus brings that sorrow, that grief bearing into our world and shows us that God is no stranger to grief. And yet we, as people, tend to struggle with grief. I would say we, we, we often don't know what to do with it. Um, it's a very unwelcome emotion for us. It's a very unwelcoming and for good reason experience for us. Especially in the church where they're, they're not saying this church, but the church broader, um, where, where, where oftentimes there's no time to be sad, right? Maybe there's, I had a friend of mine who's a pastor who lost uh, two people in his family that were very close to him in, in a short amount of time. And his, and his pastor, the counsel he received from his spiritual mentor was, hey, we've got the joy of the Lord. Let's just, we've got to keep moving forward and know that, uh, that they're in a better place. You see, some of us don't know what to do with grief, and perhaps we've even been told by others, by parents or pastors, that that grief has no place in the church, to cheer up, right? It's all going to be good in the end. And oftentimes we feel ill-equipped. We don't know what to do with our grief. And the reality is we're all going to face it at some point in time in a variety of, of sizes, in a variety of ways. And so where do we go with our grief? Well, a couple of ways that I think we, we mistakenly go are that we tend to deny our grief or we tend to despair in our grief. Two Ds for you there. Um, I think some of us, and I'll put myself primarily in this category, are we, we, we go into denial And denial works to minimize something we experience so that we don't have to face just how sad and painful the reality is. Um, There's a deeply troubling show on TLC, and I'm not condoning or telling you to go watch this, okay, a little pastor by note, called Hoarders, okay, please don't watch it. It's very sad. But oftentimes, you'll, you'll, I mean, it is sad. I don't want to make, I wanted to make sure I didn't make light of it at all, so I don't want to make jokes here. Um, but, but oftentimes as you're watching Hoarders, uh, which I don't watch it oftentimes, but a few times, um, you realize that, that these, you know, we all know kind of what a home should be like. Like it doesn't have to be perfect, pristinely clean. Some of you are, are that in that category. But, it, but it, it shouldn't have like newspaper stacked up to the ceiling or, or like 25 old computer monitors in a room or, or feces all over, you know. So when you're watching Hoarders, though, there's people whose homes are just horrifying, like Oh, that's not the way it should be. And yet, time after time, the people who are caught in this are in absolute denial of the reality and the mess of their home. Interestingly enough, a lot, they'll bring in like a, a psychologist usually, and, and usually the, the outward hoarding has been a result of something painful or grieving to their heart that they had to deny, and the hoarding became this addiction that they had that kind of dealt with that pain. 
And, and I think a lot of us can, can identify with that on a smaller level, that, that, that we, we don't want to feel sadness, so, so, so we'll deny that it's sad. We'll minimize, oh, it wasn't that bad. I wasn't that close with them. It wasn't that big of a deal. You see, the hard part, though, about denying our sorrow and our grief is that it's still there. The mess is still there. No matter how much God talk or positive spending we do, the deep wound is real. And it's in this time of denial that oftentimes we're most vulnerable to addiction. Because it is real and it keeps coming up, and so then we need some sort of substance or substitute for God to kind of, kind of make us okay. I know my propensity towards denial... <laughs> I've found at times it's, it's easier to say that I have sinned than it is to say that I'm sad. Maybe some of you can resonate with that. You see, somewhere we picked up along the way that sadness and grief and sorrow is an unwelcomed enemy. Maybe for some of us it feels weak. Maybe for others it, 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 it you're in denial about the fallenness of yourself and you can't even look at your own sin because you just can't bear it or you can't look at the pain because you just can't take it in. Maybe a pastor or a parent gave you poor advice to cheer up and just move on and you just don't know what to do with it. I want to give us a, a bit of a metaphor that I, I've used before um, and it's, it might be strange for some, it's not that strange, but, but I like to think of uh, the, the interior soul of a person in terms of a house. Now, this is just a metaphor, so don't be like, what? We're a house? No, it's just a metaphor. It means it's helping us think through this idea that's invisible, right? Um, imagine that your soul is a house with a living room, right? There's a living room uh, where you spend most of your time. That's where maybe community happens and, and fellowship happens. Um, perhaps there's a game room and that's where, where joy happens and fun happens and there's, there's a joyous part of our soul. Maybe there's an office where we work and we're productive and we're using our gifts and skills. Uh, maybe there's a garage and that's where anger resides. And, and I, maybe that's not for you, but when I thought of like my garage and how hot it is in the summer, it's like I just get angry. That's, that's my anger zone, right, in my soul. Um, and then imagine there's this extra bedroom where sadness resides. A room that is dimly lit. A room where things slow down and, and there's a heaviness to it. I know that for me, in my own soul, that this room of sadness is often one that I, that I kind of sense what's going on in there and I, I kind of crack the door and I peek in and, and immediately I just want to shut that door. Nope, not going there. Maybe there's too much disappointment, too much heaviness, too much unproductivity, too many pictures line the walls of that room of ones we've lost, too many posters of dreams we once had that aren't going to happen, too many scars from hurts done to us. Why go in there? It's an uncomfortable place. And the hard reality that I've come to and realize is that if I won't go there in my own heart, then I can't go there with other people. 
If I can't go to the sad places of my own heart and take that to the Lord, then it's really hard for me to go and be present with other people in that room. In fact, at at times, uh, my wife has been so gracious to help me with this, but at times, uh, you know, I'm I'm wanting to fix it. I'm wanting to like, hey, let's go outside and play. Let's go to the fun room. Let's close that door, lock it. Let's go over here and pretend pretend everything's good. And And she just wants me to come sit and be present in the sadness. And there's me. Oh, it's not that bad. You know, those are, this is denial. It's a pattern that, that many of us fall into because we can't bear to go in. Now, the other D is, is despair. And perhaps others of you maybe swing in this direction or maybe we swing between the two of them at different times. Perhaps the unthinkable has happened and you had no choice but to be there in that room, in that place of sadness. And once you got there in denial, it feels like the door is locked and you're in it and it's sinking and it's heavy. Maybe the pain of loss has been so deep that it felt like you were reduced to nothing more than that reality. And if you've been through loss, in an extreme way, lost a loved one, had a horrifying diagnosis, whatever to you brought you into that room, then, then you know that feeling. And in all, all this discussion on grief, I do want to say this for those who are grieving and who will walk through grief. This, isn't, this talk isn't so that all of a sudden we can handle grief perfectly. It isn't trying to put pressure on you to say, hey, This is how you get it right. See, in that place often is is where it should be. And I actually think the Gospels have a correlation to to that moment, that feeling, um, and and a a balm for you who are in that place. And I think it's Holy Saturday. We don't talk about Holy Saturday often. But there is this moment in the Gospel where Jesus has been crucified and He's died and then He's laid in a tomb. And that's a whole day. A whole day that his disciples felt like this shouldn't be. This isn't how it's supposed to go. We put our hope in him and he's, and he's dead. And, and there's a very real experience in grief that the world is not as it should be and it feels like it's always going to be that way. And here's the gentle encouragement. Is we, we need to sit in that place. And we might even need to feel the weight that this is, that I am helpless. That this is, this is not as it should be. There's, that's the appropriate response to death, to loss, to things not being as they should be. And yet, It's as if we'd kind of shut the curtains and boarded up the windows in our despair. And here comes Jesus just very patiently and gently lifting up the the curtain just a bit because our eyes have not adjusted to the light. And, And he shines the light in to let us know first that he's with us 
in the grief. I know sometimes when people go through grief, they feel ashamed and they, oh, I don't want to burden. I want to I be a, a drain on everybody else. You're not a drain on Jesus. He is near to the brokenhearted. He is at one time completely present with you in that dark room of grief. And, and he's not bound by that room. In some ways, we are bound by that room. In some ways, in that place, we are powerless to make anything different. But Jesus is not. Jesus can exist both completely present in our grief and he's completely transcendent of that grief. And this is good news for us because it means Jesus can one day and will one day pull us out of that tomb of Holy Saturday and into resurrection life. But the beauty of Jesus is he doesn't go too quickly. Have you noticed that about God, by the way? He's not in a hurry. Whatever he is, he's not in a hurry on our, on our terms. But the beauty and the light that begins to shine into that dark place is that Jesus is with us and he's also not going to let us sink in despair. He knows what your heart is feeling. He knows those emotions. He knows the uncomfortableness, the aching in the stomachs, the, the, the feeling of mild drunkenness, as C.S. Lewis said. He's fully there, and yet he's not followed, swallowed up. Think about Lazarus again. Jesus wept, and he fell the full weight of Lazarus' death, and a few days later, he raises Lazarus and he heals him. You see that, though? Because things were going to be restored, Jesus, who is the restorer, doesn't minimize the grief when the grief is there. I want us to hear that. As, as we walk through things as Christians, we don't need to be, we don't need to be people who, uh, who, dis, who despair, but we also don't need to too quickly run to just pithy truths to try to avoid the grief. There's all the deniers coming in, right? They're trying to launch little, I remember all things work together. You know, like, we can live in the same tension that Jesus lives in. We can honor our grief and our sadness. We can say the world is not as it should be, and that makes me deeply troubled and sad. And on the same hand, we can trust that Jesus is going to make all things new. One of my favorite verses is John 1, 5. It says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. You see that? He's near, and he saves. So where is God in our grief? He is both with us and able to save us. Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
You see, church family, grief and sorrow will come. And we don't need to deny it. And while we might despair and handle it imperfectly, we don't need to also let it pull us under. We can mourn. We can lament. We're going to talk about that in an action step in a second. And here's the beauty. Our mourning and lamenting doesn't transport us to heaven and all of a sudden everything is great. But rather what it does is it brings us into the reality that God is especially near in those times of sadness. In your deepest, darkest hour, God is especially near. His spirit is not withdrawing, saying, ooh, the two too much for me. His spirit is whooshing around you, bringing the comfort of Christ to you without minimizing, without rushing to pity answers, just being a loving presence and agreeing, this is sad. This is hard. But this isn't everything. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, the Apostle Paul captures this tension. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. You see, he doesn't say don't grieve. He says grieve with hope. A few practical things I want to I end with as we talk about grief. And, and I want to say this too. In all of these sermons, these topics are, we could, we could do a year's class on all of these things. So we can't say everything up here on a Sunday, but we just want to try to equip you to walk in some of these things. And so I'm, I want to give you a four things to kind of help us walk forward with grief. Four encouragements to you. And number one is sit in the silence with God and others. Sit in the silence with God and others. Oftentimes, people need a loving presence, not a sermon. They already know probably those verses. They might know that little pithy statement. Oftentimes, the little pithy statements that we throw out are more because we are trying to avoid the sad room than because we, that's really what people need. There was a time when I was just starting to kind of move into pastoral ministry. And my mentor, uh, Dusty Thompson, uh, we were driving in his pickup. I think we were having like just ate lunch or something. And he got a call that one of the college students' moms was, was in the hospital and about to die. And he looks over to me and he's like, hey, you want to go? And I'm like, well, no, but yes. Uh, okay. And we, and we go, and we go in the room, and, and I just kind of, I'm kind of watching. I'm like, what do you, what do you say? You know, what do you do? And, and, and to be honest, there wasn't much impressive happening, but we were there. We were a loving presence. And later I asked Dusty, I said, Dusty, how do you, how do you know what to say in these moments? I feel like I'm, I need to say this, like, perfect line or, or give them this, you know, you know, start reciting verses or something like that. And I'm, again, I'm not saying there's never time for that. But Dusty just told me something that stuck with me. He said, just show up. Just be present in that moment. Don't have to fix it all right now. Don't have to theologize it all right now. Show up and be present. When people suffer in our church, and we will, and there are people suffering, sometimes it's as, it's as simple as showing up. It's as simple as crying with them. 
It's as simple as bringing flowers or a token or just calling even if you don't know what to say. You know, sometimes we say the stupidest things in those moments, and there's grace for that. You know, like, how are you? You know, like, I'm not very good. Just show up. Be a loving presence. And I think we can develop this by showing up to our own grief and learning to sit in silence with the Lord. That moves to point number two, encouragement number two, is to lament and mourn with tears and sadness. You see, grieving is a process that needs expression. God gave us tears for grief. He gives us psalms and lamenting scriptures to vocalize and put words to our sadness when we, when we don't know what to say. We have the rituals of funerals and, and remembrance to help us walk through grief with, with a community. In smaller ways, we might be acknowledging when, when something has hurt us. We might, have a, might share it with a trusted friend. We might go there and sit in that place of sadness with someone we trust and love. Maybe we journal it with the Holy Spirit, but grief needs expression. It needs appropriate expression in the presence of God. And if we fail to lament, if we just kind of deny and go on, or, or we, we just kind of only wallow, it, it, it deprives us of that reminder that God is especially near in this moment. You need not grieve alone. God is with you. And he's not trying to rush you. He just wants to love you. Third thing, encouragement, is resist little devils. And I'm kind of being funny saying devils. I don't mean devils, so just chill out. Um, but, but in our times of grief, we also become especially vulnerable. I talked about this with the hoarders uh, and, and addictions, right? Whenever we're grieving, if we're denying, if that's kind of you, typically you're going to need to run to something to shut up that hard reality. And so we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable to addiction. We're vulnerable in those moments to the little uh, serpents that creep into our life and offer us uh, solutions and substitutes to God. You see, anger and sadness and grief not brought to Jesus will fester like an open wound. And if we're not careful, it'll grow us deeply bitter and we'll think we're bitter at certain people and we'll be angry at this thing or that thing. It'll kind of come out sideways. And deep down, we're just angry at God. But we've, instead of going to him with that anger, which is lament, we've kind of grown contemptuous of him in our heart and we've walked away. Beware of little devils, of little serpents that come in and, and, and lead us to grow in contempt towards God. We talked about this a few weeks ago. God can take your anger. He can take your lamenting. Go read the psalmist. But you cannot take walking away from him. And your bitterness and your anger and your rage ultimately will just consume you. And you will sink in that room. Grief buried in despair or denied by locking it away will always come out sideways. 
we think, you know, going back to my strange little room analogy of the soul, you think of that grief room. If you don't attend to the mold growing on the walls and the things rising up there, eventually it's going to get through the air ducts and affect the rest of the house. You're going to be punching holes in the garage and wondering why. Pay attention to it. Bring it to Jesus. If you're hearing this sermon and you're finding yourself in a place of anger and bitterness, the implication and and the admonishment for me is not that you should not be feeling that. The implication and admonishment is that you must bring that to Jesus. It's the only place where you'll find healing for your soul. And finally, my last encouragement for us is long for the kingdom. We have to be okay with being a people who are always longing. Um, You see, grief leads us to long for the kingdom. In some ways, grief reminds us and, and tragedy and loss reminds us that this world is temporary. That it isn't everything. There are some things that happen to us that will not get better in this life. And it leads us to this place where we can, we can run away from God or we can plead and long for the kingdom to come. I think this is the challenge for us. It's so much easier to kind of just become a walled-off cynic. And my heart breaks because I see friends and I see people on social media and all over the place who have been hurt. And I know there's grief and there's real pain, and yet they've walled themselves off and become the, the meanest cynic around. Longing keeps us going to God even if things don't get fixed tomorrow. Longing says, How long, O Lord, until your kingdom comes, until your will is done on earth as it is in heaven? In fact, I think in some ways, all the way to death, our own death, we're going to be singing this song of longing. (laughs) What does the Beatitudes say? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I want to leave you with Hebrews 11, verses 14 through 16. It shows us that we're in a good chorus, a good choir of the saints to sing this song, to long for things to be right because they're horribly gone wrong. Hebrews 11 says, For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. He's talking about all those he listed in the hall of faith. Abraham, Sarah, all those who were walking by faith in God. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. In many ways, there's no going back. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Church family, God has prepared a city for us. All of the longings for things to be right. We might go to our grave pleading for his return. But one day, he will. One day, every tear will be wiped. 
Every wrong will be undone. Every injustice will be judged. And our role as the church is to cry out and to long for the kingdom as a witness in this difficult age. Let's pray. Jesus, you told us when you ascended that you wouldn't leave us as orphans, but that you would send your Spirit. And your Holy Spirit, we believe, inspired the Scriptures which we have, which through them you feed and nourish us, and you remind us of the promise that you have not left us. In fact, you are nearer to us than we, are, we can even realize. This morning, as, as all of us have different pains and grief, and maybe we're recognizing we've denied some or we feel despair at some, wherever we are, would you bring us the comfort of your Holy Spirit? Would you give us the courage to come to you with our, maybe our, even our anger, our disappointment, to be able to say, God, I'm so sad. This isn't how I wanted this to go. Lord, if it's sadness over our sin, would you lead us to repentance and assurance that you forgive us? If it's sadness over loss, would you remind us that you are with us? Lord, be near to your people. Comfort those who are brokenhearted. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.